Luke chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to walk through a very uh, familiar passage, uh, hopefully in an unfamiliar way. Um, Luke chapter 10. Um, let's, let's start at verse 21 so we can get a little, uh, a little context here. In that same hour, he rejoiced, Jesus, in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed to them, uh, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? Uh, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and saw him and had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Praise God. Y'all can be seated. Now, I thought this was a very interesting uh, passage. I was, uh, had been praying for a couple of weeks. Lord, I don't know what to preach about because, uh, you know, Pastor E does the series. And so when we have to get up here, it's a, it's a little random sometimes. Um, and so, but, but one of the things that the Lord um, uh, allowed me to see was, especially in light of where we're going as a, a, a local body and community, especially with wanting to engage our neighbors, engage our community immediately here, I thought this was a relevant text. And so I was just reading through the word, and I, and I, I was skimming through the word one day, and I happened to come across this passage, and I said, huh, like this might be a good passage to look out in light of what the Lord is calling us to do uh, in this community, and not even just in this community, but in the city and in the world. Um, and so um, and so we're going to look at this passage today, uh, the Good uh, Samaritan. And I only have two points, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to them. We have two points. But let's, let's look at this real quick. Um, before this conversation with the lawyer, Jesus is, is talking to the Father, and he says, thank you for, for hiding uh, these things, your will, 
hiding them from the wise and the understanding and revealing it uh, to, to, to those who are like little children, right? And so, so Jesus is establishing uh, sort of the context for what's going to happen next. Right. So the next. So 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 as soon as Jesus says that, thank you for revealing it from the wise. Who's the first person to say something? A lawyer. A wise guy. Right. Now, the lawyers already don't have a good reputation in the book of Luke, because if you look back in chapter six, Jesus is talking to some lawyers and he's talking to them about uh, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Right. And he's saying, like, love your neighbor, like, like, bless those that curse you. Like, it's not good enough for you just to love those who love you. That's easy to do. Like, I want you to love those that hate you. And so Jesus in in Luke chapter six is kind of wiping out the distinction that the Jews were making between neighbor and enemy. Right. So let's keep let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, But this lawyer, right, a lawyer was a person just like today who studies the law. So back then, the lawyer studied the law and interpreted the law, the law of Moses, the, the Torah. Um, and, so, and so the image of the lawyer already has been established. Like, it's not really, not really a good one. Uh, the lawyers are already a little uh, suspect. Uh, we even see it in the first, in verse 25. He says, behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test. The, the, the word there for the test uh, in the Greek, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the same word used uh, earlier in John where he says, uh, the, uh, where, where he was tested by Satan. It's the same exact word. It's only used twice in the book. The testing of Satan to Jesus and here when the lawyer stands up to put Jesus uh, to the test. And so the lawyer starts off and he asks him a question. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a funny question. Now, on the outset, it doesn't really seem like a bad question because he, it seems like he legitimately wants to know, like, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Um, the, the difficult thing about this question is that for inheritances, uh, they're usually determined by the giver and not the one who's ready to inherit. Right? So, so when you think about, like, if you've got a rich uncle, right, I, if you have a rich uncle, I don't have any rich uncles, so I don't know what this feels like. But if you have a rich uncle and you got a real good relationship with him, and you know one day, and, and, and you know one day he's going to die, and, and you're hoping that he leave you a little something, something. Is that bad, Pastor Nyron? To think like that? That is okay. It is bad to think like that. It is bad to think like that, right? But, but just for the sake. <laughs> Nevertheless, it wouldn't be bad if he left you a little something, something, no. Let's be, let's be honest. But, but so, so what he's saying is, like, that inheritance is usually, like, like they determine whether or not they're going to leave you something, right? And we, can, we can find something similar in the prodigal son, where the son goes to the father and says, give me my inheritance, which is basically saying, like, I would rather you be dead so I can get what you have for me than to be in good relationship with you. And so, and so here, the lawyer is saying, like, what do I got to do? Like, it's basically having that rich uncle and purposely trying to do things to get into his good graces so that he'll leave you something. It's not out of love. It's because you want what he has, and so you want to go earn it, right? And so he, his concern for eternal life isn't about anything but trying to determine what he has to do to get it. 
Okay? And so this, this is the lawyer. This is the lawyer coming to Jesus. He says, what do I have to do? What must I do to, inter, uh, to, to uh, inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? He asked him two questions. What's written in the law and how do you read it? How do you read it meaning how do you understand it? How do you interpret it? Because remember, when they read back in those days, they read out loud in the synagogues. And so when you read the law, it wasn't merely just you reading verbatim the law. That was a part of it, but the, also the part of it was you, your understanding of the law so that you could interpret it correctly to the people, right? So he asked him two questions. What does the law say, and how do you read it? And so uh, we see here that the, the lawyer correctly answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so right there, Jesus says, he says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this is important because, again, it goes in concert with uh, that Luke 6 passage where he's, uh, Jesus is uh, getting rid of that distinction between enemy and neighbor. And we see that, and we see um, the lawyer asking this question. Now, now we see him in verse 25 say, the lawyer putting Jesus to the test, and then in this verse saying, uh, desiring to justify himself. So we know that, Je- we know that he, w- he has an ulterior motive, right? And so the purpose of the lawyer asking this question isn't to find out who he needs to be a neighbor to. The, the purpose of this question is the lawyer trying to figure out who he can dismiss as being his neighbor, because what he wants to do, what the lawyer wants to do is saying, he's saying, okay, I have to justify myself by the law, right? I need to do a bunch of things to inherit eternal life, right? So if I have to do a bunch of things, let me, let me find out the people that I don't have to help. That way, it's easier for me. It's easier for me to, to earn favor by the law if I don't got to help everybody, if I can just help people like that I want to or that fall within that realm of being a neighbor, Right. So maybe it's just maybe it's just these certain groups of people or this so- certain uh, social status. But it's it's easier for me in my trying to be justified by the law to have limits on who my neighbor is, because then it limits the amount of time, resources and, and plans I have to spend on people if there's a lesser group of people I can do it for. And so this is the question he's asking. He's like, like, uh, like uh, what are the, basically what he's saying is, what are the limits of my responsibility? What, what can I forget about? What don't I have to worry about? Don't tell me about what I have to do. Tell me about what I don't need to worry about, what I don't have to do, right? And so, um, and so Jesus, after the lawyer asked this question, that's when Jesus jumps into this parable of the the good uh, Samaritan. So let's, let's read it again real quick, just, to, just for a refresher. Verse 30. Jesus replied, uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where he was, saw him, uh, and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, saw him, and had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Right? So we have this story here. And we have a number of characters. We have uh, four characters. We have a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan, and a man. Right? Now the priest was from the, uh, the tribe of Levi, the descendants of Aaron, and they had particular responsibilities in the temple. They basically were um, mediators for the people to God. Right. Um, then you had the Levites who assisted the priests. They weren't of they were of the tribe of Levi, but they weren't descendants of Aaron. And so they assisted with priests. They assisted the, the priests with duties in the temple, but they weren't priests themselves. OK. And then you have the Samaritan. Right. If you know anything about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, it, like they had beef that dated back. Right. To. Uh, to, to a long time before. And so basically the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered the lesser race of Jews uh, because uh, uh, back in the day, they, there was, they, they sort of were the ones that, some of the Jews that were left in the northern kingdom, and they kind of intermarried with some of, the other, uh, some of the other people groups around them. And so the Jews considered their race to be watered down. Right. And so they even so the Samaritans even worshiped at a different temple. They worshiped on Mount Gerizim. If you remember the, the conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, but the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. Right. And so, I mean, basically, if you called a Jew a Samaritan, it was basically like a racial slur to them. That's the type of like that's how low they thought about the Samaritans. Like so there was mutual hate on both sides. Right. Uh, and then you have this man, just a man. The man has no description. Uh, if you notice, the man doesn't have a social status. He basically doesn't have an identity. Jesus doesn't give him a race, an ethnicity. He, he doesn't he doesn't say he, he doesn't say how old he is, how, uh, how young he is, what he looks like, where he's from. He just says a man. He doesn't say anything else about the man. He just says a man. Right. Let's look at the text real quick. So he says, um, so he says, a man was going out of Jerusalem. He fell among the priests. I mean, he fell among the robbers. The robbers came uh, and, 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 and beat him up, basically left him half dead. Priest Levite passed him. Samaritan helped him, took him to the inn, uh, took care of him. Right. And so the question needs to be asked, why does Jesus use this, uh, this, this one as a helper uh, why does he identify the one who comes and helps as a Samaritan, right? Now, put yourself in the, Jews, in, in the shoes of, of a Jew listening to, to this parable, right? Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, Jesus recently, before this conversation, was praying, Lord, thank you for hiding these things from the wise and revealing them to those who are like little children. Keep that in mind because it's in the context of what we're talking about. So what does it look like for a Jew to be listening to this parable, Right. So one is the Jews not going to identify himself with the priest or the Levite. Why? Because they're not the heroes in this story. They don't want to identify with 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 a group of people, with people in the story who are who would be viewed as like, man, like those are bad. Like they didn't even check on the dude. Like they didn't even check on homie. Like he's just laying there. You could at least say saw if he was dead or, or something. 
right? So they don't want to identify with him because, of course, anybody, any just random Joe listening to this story would be like, oh, that's foul, right? I'm, maybe it's not foul to some of y'all, but I, I think it's foul. I think it's foul. And so, so, so they wouldn't want to identify with the priest or the Levite, right? And so, so, so that leaves two people, the Samaritan and the man, right? Now, a Jew wouldn't want to, in light of the history between Jews and Samaritans, a Jew listening to the story still wouldn't want to identify with the Samaritan because he would, think, he would think that disgraceful or a dishonor to the Jewish culture to identify with the Samaritan. So, so that eliminates three people. He says, okay, well, I'm not like the priest. I'm not like the Levite. And I'm, not, I'm definitely ain't no Samaritan. I'd rather be a priest or Levite better than a Samaritan. Right? So who does that leave? The man. The man. See, we read, we read the Good Samaritan story uh, very just cliche. I mean, all of America knows the Good Samaritan. They might not know this story, but it's such a cliche term these days, Good Samaritan, that we, re- we don't realize that, that, that back in this day, that's an oxymoron. To a Jew, there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. No such thing. And so what, is Jesus, what does Jesus want the lawyer and the group of people to, f- what does he want them to hear from this passage? I don't want you to be the priest. I don't want you to be the Levite, and you definitely ain't the Samaritan because you ain't helping nobody. You're not the one that helps. I want you to be the man in the ditch. That's what he's saying. I want you to understand. Remember, when Jesus tells parables, everything that he talks about points towards the kingdom of God. Everything that he talks about. So in this passage here, he's saying, I need you to identify with the man in the ditch. Why? Because spiritually, you're dead. Spiritually, you need somebody to come and save you. Somebody who was, who was what? An enemy. Positionally, God is your enemy right now. And I need you to identify with the man of, in the ditch so you know that you need saving. So what is he telling the lawyer? He's telling the lawyer, I, I need you to, to put your swagger down a little bit. I need you to throw your pride down a little bit. I need you to, to take off identifying yourself like you can rely on yourself, like you got it, like you can do it on your own. You can't because you half dead in a ditch. That's what he's telling the lawyer. He's saying, you, I don't want you to see yourself as the Samaritan who helps. You can't help somebody who's spiritually dead in a ditch. Jesus is saying, if, you, if, if this was revealed to your eyes, you would see yourself as the man in the ditch, and you would see me as the Samaritan coming to save. Jesus is the Samaritan in this passage. Jesus is the one who comes to save. And so Jesus is, he, he's saying, listen, I want you to realize what I'm telling you. Don't just listen to the story and think it's merely about you going to help people. That's well and good, but I'm about my kingdom, and I haven't died on the cross yet, and I need you to know that you need someone to die and pay the debt on your behalf. I need you to, because listen, you can't properly, later in the passage, if you look down at verse 37, which we'll get to, uh, after uh, he tells the parable, he says, uh, he says, he asked the, the lawyer, who do you think um, proved to be a neighbor? And he said, the one that showed mercy. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. And we always read the Samaritan story and jump to the go and do likewise. You can't go and do likewise unless you've been done to. It's impossible 
for you to have limitless neighborly love if you haven't experienced the neighborly love that Jesus does when he comes near to you and shows compassion to you. It's impossible. And so we can't jump the step of being the man in the ditch and jump right to being the Samaritan. You can't help nobody if you ain't been helped. You can't do it. And so Jesus here is saying, Jesus here is saying, I want you to identify with the man in the ditch. Just be the man in the ditch. You don't got it together. It's okay that you don't got it together. I want you, I want you, to, I want you to allow your, your enemy to come and show you some love. What, is your pride down to receive it? Because this man in the ditch, he's so low and so destitute that when love and compassion comes his way, he can't reject it. That's in the text. He's to the point, he can't say no, because again, we assume that the man in the Jew is, I mean, the man in the ditch is a Jew. We just assume that, right? Because the Samaritan's helping him. So he has to be a Jew. The, Samar- the, the priest didn't know who the man was. There, he, there was nothing to identify him by. The Levite didn't know. The Samaritan didn't know. He was just a man. They didn't know whether or not he was a neighbor. And so what Jesus is saying is, stop putting limitations on who you love and who you show compassion to. I, I, want, the, I want it to be limitless. I want you to see a need and just go help. That's what I want you to do. Because, again, it goes back to his question, who is my neighbor? Like, what's the limits of my responsibility? And Jesus is saying, listen, I just told you about this man. He don't have no identity, but he's half dead on the side of the road. Are you going to help him? Are you going to help him? Be the man in the ditch. But then Jesus does do something. He says, go and do likewise, right? And so when he says, go and do likewise, he's referring to being the man in the ditch so that you can be a neighbor who proves to be a neighbor by showing love, by showing compassion, by meeting needs, right? So what, is, what does it look like based on, based on Jesus' description of the Samaritan, what does it look like to show neighborly love? What does it look like to show neighborly love? Let's look at a few things. Go to verse, uh, verse 33, right? But a Samaritan... Uh, as he journeyed, Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. That's the first thing you got to do. You got to be willing to give up your plans and your time. It's in the text. The Samaritan, what did he do? The Samaritan wasn't on the road looking for somebody to help. The, the Samaritan was on the road because he had somewhere to go. He had something to do. And he had stuff on his donkey or, uh, th- that, that was useful to him that he probably had to get somewhere. Right? But what does he do? He takes the man, puts him on his donkey, and then goes out of his way to take him to an end. You got to be willing to give up your plans and give up your time. Verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. You got to be willing to use your resources, specifically your money. 
And I ain't talking about giving it to the church. This ain't a tithing sermon. We're talking about neighborly love based on the text. If you want to show the neighborly love that Jesus is talking about here, you got to be willing to come up off your resources some. Everything ain't always about you. It's easy to get, get a little something in your pocket or have some contacts and just floss them around, talk about these contacts you got to wave them in front of people's faces, or you can't, you can't help nobody because you, you want to go to the movies next week, or you want to make sure you got enough to buy these sneakers next week, or, or go do something. Listen, Jesus is saying, you got to be willing to come up off your resources in a tangible way. Money, you, you don't get no more tangible than money. It ain't no philosophical idea. It's money. You can hold it in your hand. You can give it to somebody else to spend. We, it, like this, and this is the Bible. Give up your money to go help somebody. We laughing, but we don't do that. We don't do it. Our money too important to see. You really know. You you really know what somebody about when it comes down to their money. We can talk all this Bible we want to. We can talk about Jesus coming back. We can wave and sing and say, hallelujah. We can talk all about that stuff. Let me find out where you at when it come down to your money. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 35b, the last half of verse 35. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. To be a good neighbor, you have to be willing to be invested for the long term. Now, this is a Samaritan who he could have simply, he, could, he would have been a good dude if he would have stopped at picking the dude up, taking him to an inn and paying for his stuff and leaving him there and saying, listen, here, listen, I found this dude on the side of the road. He's beating up. Here's some money for him. Take him. You're good, right? The text don't stop there. It said he goes to the innkeeper. He initiates the conversation. Do what you need to do to make sure he's well. To make sure he's well. And I will come back and pay the debt. He's not telling, he's not He's not leaving the, there, the dude there because eventually that, that two denarii would have ran out at some point. And that dude may not have been well yet. And so if that innkeeper continues to take care of him until he's well, there's going to be a charge that this man probably can't pay because he got robbed and he don't got no money. So, so this Samaritan says, he says, I want you to take care of him now, but I also want you to take care of him until he's, went, until he's well and I'll come back and pay the debt. Put the charge on me. I got it. And, and, and you can trust me to come back and make sure that it's paid and taken care of. He would have just, he would, it would have been good enough just for him to leave him. But he says, no, I want to go that extra step because I, I want to make sure that he's taken care of. I want to make sure his needs are met. I want to make sure that he's well before he leaves. I don't want to just send him back out there half, half destitute, half dead still to get beat up again. Take care of him. I'll pay the debt. You got to be willing. See, see, being a neighbor is the willingness to be committed uh, uh, to being inconvenienced. 
Are you committed to being inconvenienced? Is that you? Because last time I checked, when you got to change your plans for the sake of somebody else, that's an inconvenience. And I ain't going to sit up here and act all holier than thou and act like I don't get angry in the mug sometimes when I got to help people and I had plans. That don't feel good. I had stuff I wanted to do, even if it was just chilling on the couch watching TV. I'm going to be honest. I had plans to chill today, and you're going to call me with that. Let's be honest now. Let's, let's be honest, right? Last time I checked, it was an inconvenience to come up off your money. Listen, I already don't make that much. And you asking me for some? I barely made it here on gas. And then long term. See, 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 this is what, it's easy for the church to come on in, quick hit, and then step back out and never show their face again. That's easy. It's easy to just see somebody on the street and want to jump in real quick, give them the gospel, and then leave and feel good because you shared the gospel with somebody that day. Or just to go by somebody. And I'm not saying that stuff's not good or it's not needed. But Jesus has called us to something more long-term than that. He's called us to something a little bit more comprehensively uh, together than that. He wants us to make sure that people are well. People are well. Not just that they're not hungry no more because you fed them something. He wants you to make sure that they're well. Are we doing that? Are we, na- are, are we such neighbors that we're making sure people are well before we leave? Or do we ever come back to make sure that their wellness has been secured? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not merely just talking about just going to help people. He's saying, listen, I need you to know what I had to do to get you out of the ditch and make you well. When you understand the comprehensive gravity of how far I had to come down in the ditch to get you, you'll know what it looks like to go get somebody else out the ditch. Because if you've never been, if you've never experienced the loving, strong arm of God reaching down into the ditch to grab you, you will never fathom what it looks like to reach down there to pull somebody else up. You got to identify, you don't, just, don't just overlook this. You are in the ditch. Jesus got off his throne to go in the ditch and get you. Jesus took you to the end and then got on a cross to pay your debt. And Jesus secured your wellness because his sacrifice was sufficient and the debt was fully paid. And then he's going to come back. And he's going to grab you and he's going to take you home to a place of true wellness, true peace, true love, true freedom. See, it's easy to read this story and identify with the Samaritan because everybody wants to be the hero. 
Everybody wants to be the hero, right? But that ain't true. Jesus is saying, look at what I've done for you and then go do it. So in this story, you're not the Samaritan, but I do want you to be like the Samaritan. But you've got to experience what I've done first. You've got to experience what I've done first. And so, so I, this isn't just, please don't let this just be a message that was like, oh, that, that was good. That was good. Listen, we, we, God has called us to work. He's called us to work. Right? He's called us. He's, he's put Epiphany Fellowship here in North Philadelphia for a specific reason, a specific uh, purpose for a specific time such as this. And so, so one of our prayers, one of the things we've been looking forward to in 2012 is being able to engage this community and reestablish credibility with the church. You can't do that unless you're a neighbor. And a neighbor is more than just, some of y'all might move here, but a neighbor is more than just living next door. Will, will, will you give up on your plans? Will you give up your resources? Are you invested long term? Will you love? Will you do it? This is what he's calling us to. This is what he's calling us to. And so I pray, I pray that we as a church would, 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 would be the man in the ditch. Because if, if other people see you as somebody in the ditch, they don't mind being helped by you. Because you've experienced the ditch. If you go out there and act like you was always the Samaritan, ain't no, don't, nobody wanna, don't nobody want your help? Can you identify with the ditch? I've been in the ditch. And I've been rescued from the ditch. Mm, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Um, because you, <laughs> you... You were both enemy and helper. Uh, you were uh, 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 ah, God. You were there. Uh, you were there uh, to pull us from uh, such a dark and lonely place uh, uh, and bring us into a place uh, where help was. Uh, help is. Help is in your arms. Love uh, is in your arms. God, I pray we would experience uh, and realize just, just how messed up we were, how messed up we still are, but how willing you are uh, to, um, to come and get us. Lord, you plan to come down. You plan to die uh, just so that you could make us well. God, I, I, I pray that we would pre-plan to be inconvenienced. God, you were inconvenienced to leave the beauty of eternity, uh, the beauty of relationship with God. You were inconvenienced to come. You were inconvenienced to be nailed to a cross, a rugged cross. You were inconvenienced to die. 
But Lord, your word says that you endured the cross for the joy that was set before you. Can that be us, Lord? Can we look forward to being inconvenienced so that others may be made well? I pray that that's the prayer of our hearts, God. Lord, we thank you. We are forever indebted to you. Um, and so our, 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 our going and doing likewise flows not from the goodness of our hearts, but from uh, the freedom that God has secured for us in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.